and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Dark Crimes. Hello, and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex, joined as always by my my friend and my cohort. Uh, I can't even really say partner in this, because this, is, you know, this isn't like a buddy cop movie. But, um, <laughs> Different kind of cop movie. I guess the Charlotte Gainsbourg to my Jim Carrey. Uh, just Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That intense, huh? Minus the very like passionate and um, disdainful sex. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's really no, there's no pairings in this because even like if I said like Jim Carrey and his wife, they they split up and yeah. So uh, there's really yeah, Jim Carrey and his mom. Yeah, yeah. There's a a true bond there. Not a uh, happy ending, but yeah. I was about to say I don't want to put that on either of us. So we'll just say uh, it's Jim Carrey. So the the Harry to my Lloyd. Uh, we'll just make a different Jim Carrey reference there. But uh, back in the saddle once again, uh, overseas. Uh, was this Poland where this movie was filmed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I guess Jim Carrey's doing a Polish accent. Is that what you picked up on? I was trying to figure it out. Uh, at least one of the accents he's doing is Polish. Something in this movie is Polish. Here today to discuss dark crimes. We are scraping the bottom of the barrel once again, not in terms of... Uh, running out of movies but the literal bottom of the barrel is we're bringing another zero percenter to the table julio it wasn't us to be fair this was just uh, the uh, position yeah, we right. put ourselves in a zero percenter has been brought to the table and we're gonna take it from the bottom of the barrel and shine it up and see what we can make of it yeah this was a this was a challenge from uh patron jason also known as the nerd revert who grabbed his, his ticket you know like at the deli you know, you you grab your your number and then you wait for mm-hmm. them to call you, and that's what he did. And the entire time he was in line, he was thinking of what he could bring to the contrarians uh, when it was his turn to steer the ship, uh, the ship of content that we have here. And then he we called him up, and he put up his I don't know half a pound of ham, <laughs> and then he said, "This zero percenter." Uh, did he send this along naked or is it, is there a reason that he chose this movie? As naked as the, the people in that sex dungeon in the movie. Uh, he sent a, a message on Twitter that uh, we shall read during Real Talk. We'll, okay. we'll save that one for then. All right. And uh, you had not seen this before, correct? I didn't even know it existed, Alex. I didn't know that there was a, a movie where Jim Carrey basically gave up his American citizenship 
and became a citizen of Europe. Yeah, I had heard about this or read, excuse me, read about this a couple years ago, not at the time of release, but just kind of, you know, a late night deep dive through IMDb or Wikipedia, what have you. And I was like, well, that sounds uh, interesting, I guess would be the word. <laughs> and then I, I remember it stuck with me, the 0% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. So I guess that's as good of a segue as any to get into what it is we do here on The Contrarians, and that is Rage Against the Rotten Tomatoes Machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times known as certified fresh. And what we'll do is bring that movie down to size, talk about maybe some uh, overrated aspects of it, be it directing, storytelling, uh, acting, poor acting, poor score, um, quizzical storytelling choices, or just plot holes that need to be filled in. Uh, and then conversely, we'll find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is lowly rated. We usually shoot for about 30% and below. So this 0%er categorically qualifies for what we're doing. And in the case of dark crimes, what we do with these rotten films is build them up and try to find the positive merit in them to shine them up and say, hey, maybe this low score isn't telling the whole story about this movie. And there's some things worth checking out, be it, you know, Jim Carrey's O-Face or uh, <laughs> some of the way the, the shots are framed in this are, are, is memorable. And, you know, score, storytelling choices, bold direction. Uh, you know, just I think bold is a word we'll use to describe this movie several times, uh, be it in the first or second half. But that is what we do. And we do this in an effort to one, say, you know, this shit is subjective. You know, if you really set your mind to it, you can be as over the moon about something as you want to be, or it's just downright cynical and, you know, bury something as much as you're, you've desired. And then also these Rotten Tomato scores don't always tell the whole story when it comes to these movies. And a lot of times I think people don't understand that. I mean, zero percent, that's a pretty big matzo ball. That's a pretty big hurdle to overcome. Uh, but we're going to do our best to uh, build it up here in the first half and see what positive merit we can find, uh, be it genuine or facetious. And that's going to comprise the first part of this episode, the first half of our podcast, which we call Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie du jour, in this case, dark crimes, they just have to... Stick around for part two, the second half. That's correct. Part two of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we tell you how we really feel. We forget about the Rotten Tomatoes score. It doesn't matter if it's 0% or 100%. We're just going to tell you how we felt while watching the movie. And most of the time, that's a surprise also for us, because I don't know how Alex feels about our crimes. Alex doesn't know how I feel about our crimes. We're all going to learn a lot during Real Talk. Uh, but before we get there, of course... We're going to go through Contrarian's Corner. This is zero percenter, so we're going to say really nice things about it before we tell you how we really feel. Indeed we are. Uh, once more, give a shout out to our patron, Nerd Revert, Jason, for bringing this to us, putting it on the table. Uh, we'll get more into our patron here in the second half, but I want to thank him and all of our current patrons for their continued support. So Julio, zero percent and not just two or three reviews here. A healthy serving between 30 and 40, if I remember correctly. Um, and no one really liked this movie. Its reported box office was less than $22,000. Let's, uh, you know, there's theaters of everything together all at once that are going to make more than that, like single showings, <laughs> depending on, you know, what city it's in and what time of night. Uh, but yeah, this was not uh, an appreciated or liked movie. Not even, a, yeah, appreciated is the wrong word. People didn't care about this, and uh, a lot of people, I've read some um, letterbox reviews in preparation, and yeah, people, I think, hated this movie. 
And it's an it's an interesting one. So I'm curious to see what uh, what crop of reviews you picked for us to to go over. Here she had no name. Here she was breast. Do we have to listen to this over breakfast? No trace left of anything so human. It's annoying. Switch it off. God forbid. I think it's 36 or 37 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. All green splotches. No red tomatoes there. And, man, I wonder how many of these people just went to a free screening. Or do you think there's one that was not screened for critics? <laughs> Did they contribute to the the really weak box office <laughs> that uh, Dark Crimes had? They watch it for free and then shat on it on their websites. Yeah, I don't I would be curious if this even had like a, a theatrical screening or if um you know people just got DVDs mailed to them. What was the red carpet like for Dark Crimes? I'm sure it was raining. <laughs> yeah. Uh all right. We're gonna start with Sherlyn Connolly from SF Weekly, who says Dark Crimes is dank and dreary and no fun. I mean that's I, I'll be disturbed a movie like this was fun. Yeah. I think that dank and dreary is the right tone. I wonder if just the presence of uh, Jim Carrey front and center as, uh, in a close-up in the poster is what, what threw people off. Just set them off on the wrong path just from the beginning. Um, next, we have a top critic, Owen Gleiberman from Variety. He probably got a free screener. Uh, he says, The film's pace never deviates from its hush, deliberate, anticipatory gaze. It's stuck in thriller foreplay mode. Some people, Alex, say that foreplay is the best play of them all. <laughs> you know, one of this movie really believes in foreplay, or I guess the people that do <laughs> believe in a really fucking sick and perverse way of foreplay. Uh, I think that some characters don't bother with foreplay, though. No. Next, Ignati Vishnevetsky from, from the AV Club says, A few words should be said about Carrie's performance. It may be the most dramatic acting of his career. A charmless cartoon of self-repression. I don't know. I, you know, I haven't seen the number twenty-three, but I haven't either. That was going to be my question for you because I remember it wasn't the thing like he was super into that. Yeah, yeah, like uh, I, I've seen the trailer and just that idea that this is a movie about a man that's obsessed with the number twenty-three. <laughs> I mean, how can that be less uh, intense than what we get here? I mean, yeah. regardless of how you feel about dark crimes, I think, I don't know, I'd be surprised if you told me that number 23 is is not more of it, whether it's good or bad. Um, and now we're going to close with Johnny Oleksinski from the New York Post, who says that this exercise in vulgarity was made at all is shameful. <laughs> Shame. Shame to the filmmakers. Shame. Uh, uh, number 23 was 7% on Rotten Tomatoes, so not much better. And I thought I was remembering it, but I wanted to verify uh, to make sure I didn't sound like an idiot. It was That was a Joel Schumacher joint. Mm-hmm. But what you can pick up from that is that audiences don't like, uh, or at least critics don't like, serious Jim Carrey, intense Jim Carrey. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you know, there was Man on the Moon, which, you know, uh, it's fitting we're discussing Jim Carrey and also... um. If you haven't, go on back. We have an episode on Man on the Moon that was uh, one of our WrestleMania specials. And uh, Julio, I don't know if you saw that Andy Kaufman's getting inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame at WrestleMania this year. And That's nice. Who's uh, who's going on his behalf? Is it Paul Giamatti? 
Uh, I don't know who's going to accept for him. If I had to guess, Jerry Lawler, the wrestler he had the program with in Memphis all those mm-hmm. years back, is going to do it. Um, people are like, should be Letterman, dude. It, that that's the dream. Like Letterman <laughs> around all those fucking <laughs> carnival workers and just like you know. <laughs> Uh, the utter disdain he would hold for it but uh <laughs> some people were saying that like tony clifton should accept it and i was like that'd be cool but the the wrestling fan base 99 percent of the people watching that would not understand what was going on um <laughs> but they might you know jim carrey's said to be a wrestling fan so who knows maybe they'll get him to do something uh, he could do it he's kind of like bill murray at this point where that's yeah you never know he's gonna show up mm-hmm. uh, and i mean this movie is <laughs> that's a testament to that but I would recommend staying away from Jim Carrey because he might snap back into Andy and become, you know, that we've got another Jim and Andy on our hands when that happens. Um, because I was curious about the the process of this movie, it premiered at the Warsaw Film Festival on October 12th of 2016, which is a Polish film festival, and then was released in North America on May 18th of 2018. Uh, but there was uh, it dropped on Directv um, exclusively on April nineteenth, so that probably explains why there was little to no box office because anyone with Directv could watch it. Uh, it was a budget of close to four million euros, which translates to uh, a little bit over four million here. If I'm reading this correctly, currently there's not a colossal difference. It looks like the dollar is a little stronger than the euro, but not by a dramatic margin. And so that, was was Carrie just working for free? Um, is he like just pay for my hotel in Poland? <laughs> yeah, I mean tax write off. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> this was his uh, his bad girl movie. He was surprised when it was released. Yes, this is he thought this is how he was just going to get out of you know taxes for a few years. <laughs> All this. Um, but Morgan Freeman turned down the role of Tadic, the detective. So Jim Carrey was second in line for this. Oh my god. Right. I I don't know. I don't even know how to react to this in Contrarian's Corner. <laughs> so another thing that is worth bringing up now to keep in mind as we make our way through this is that that budget that I mentioned about five hundred thousand dollars of that. So that's like an eighth of the budget was contributed by the Polish Film Institute. Uh. We made a film with the American producers and international stars for a fraction of what it would cost in the U.S. or Western Europe. That was said by, I'm sorry, I'm not going to try to pronounce this name. There's a lot of consonants in there and like one (laughs) vowel. Uh, But that would mean to me that they thought this was going to pick up traction for the Polish film scene, like this movie. So, you know, like, yeah, we got to get behind this. We got to back this one. This is going to be our, our, our ticket to the dance. This is the horse to back here. So keep that in mind as we, we go through this film as well, because uh, I am i don't mean to speak for the people of Poland, uh, I'm, <laughs> but... Good. Good, Alex. <laughs> I, I'm glad we've established that, but Julio, do you... I, I don't think this necessarily paints Poland as a, a cool place to visit. You know, this this isn't the propaganda films you'll see from Japan sometimes, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, some people like living on the edge. Just if you're, you're single and ready to mingle, it looks like Poland has a, a variety of... <laughs> things to offer to you and it doesn't look like them, you can wear clothes of with any color though all muted tones yes like, well i think that that's like the the aftermath 
Like, you I don't know, think I, if you go with this movie, the color purple exists in Poland. <laughs> Maybe Jim Carrey just lives in, in the muted neighborhood. There have to be cheerier places in Poland. <laughs> the other side of the train tracks where, like, the sun comes out once a year. Uh, right. He's, uh, he's Eminem in 8 Mile. He's on the, <laughs> the, <wrong laughs> on the dark and gritty side. Uh, I love that. So the idea was that everybody making this movie thought that they cracked the code. Like the Americans were like, we can make a Jim Carrey movie for really cheap if we shoot it in Poland. And the Polish people were like, we can make a Polish movie with Jim Carrey if we pay him a lot less. <laughs> and I don't think it worked out for anybody. That's proof that the, the film industry remains a mystery. I'm curious when they figured that out. We'll talk about that more in the second half, but I'm curious when this became... Oh, no. The, the producer that thought he was making a Jim Carrey comedy realized that this was something completely different. When he showed up with the beard, he was like, all right, well, are we going to shave that? or <laughs> This is what happens when you pay $1,000 to Jim Carrey. I want to reopen the case. I know who killed Daniel Sadowski. I thought we understood. You don't investigate anymore. You don't do anything. That's the point. But of course, Jim Carrey, James Carrey, uh, I think that was his first season of In Living Color. If you ever go back, he's billed as James Carrey. Um, it takes a dark mind to solve a twisted crime. And the R is backwards in the title of Dark Crimes, based on True Crime by David Grain. David Gran? David, let me know. Who is an American journalist and staff writer for The New Yorker and a best-selling author. Um, directed by... Alessandros Avranas, who also directed Miss Violence, a 2013 Greek psychological thriller. And this was screenwritten, penned by Jeremy Brock, who, quickly going over his filmography here, I'm not familiar with anything else that he's uh, put out. Not to say Mr. Brock's not a capable hand. Jim Carrey, Charlotte Gainsbourg is the other big name in this. Um, Martin Zonkis. See the writer? Yes. The, I mean, in the movie? Kozlov, yeah. yeah. But but that was it for me. I didn't recognize anybody else in this, did you? No. Uh, I barely recognized Jim Carrey. <laughs> is that him? <laughs> A full he, transformation. He yeah, he, he sheds the, the Jim Carrey-isms. This is his... Uh, I think he overdoes what Will Smith did in... After Earth. Interesting. He just took a took a big swerve to show audiences that they don't really know him. You don't know what he's capable of. So, Julio, I, th- I think you'll be on the same page with me. If we were talking about the plot of this movie, th- this part would be five minutes, if that. So, I think I'm going to go over the synopsis here, and then you and I will just kind of pick through uh, the happenings of the movie and some of the things that stand out. Because yes, this tastefully, is... Tastefully avoiding the... The hardcore sexual abuse that's peppered throughout the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's gotta be really hard to be funny about that. Yeah, and there's yeah, we can't be. That's the, um, I think that when we did Watchmen, we're like, we're just gonna not talk about that because you know <laughs> if we're trying to be facetious, there's there's really no point in something like that. But yeah, it's, don't worry, it, it'll come up in real talk. Oh yeah, it's um, it's a very simple who done it type thing. Tadek is a detective who takes on a case involving the murder of a businessman. To his and everyone's surprise, the case is identical to a character's murder in a recently published novel by a man named Kozlov. While the crime appears to be an open and shut case, Tadek discovers a darker secret. 
So the quickest way in this, you know, spoilers abound here. Uh, looks like he was on this case and it got closed. He wants to open it back up because he he feels he's on to something here. And uh, he's given the permission to do so. But, you know, don't do it kind of uh, covertly. Don't let people know you're investigating this because, you know, you kind of embarrassed the force last time. Don't do it again. That, you know, that scenario. And uh, he gets this man Kozlov and he's determined to pin it on him. Along the way, we meet some other characters, namely Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, Cassia, Cassia, mm-hmm. Cassia, Cassia. Okay, and she works for a local brothel. The the opening stanza of this movie uh, shows us a pretty terrifying depiction of the nightlife scene in uh, Poland. You know, it's yeah, calling it a brothel is underselling it. Yeah, that's like the the, the end sequence of uh, Requiem for a Dream. Yeah, I thought like the strip clubs I had been to on Bourbon Street were rough, and this <laughs> has nothing on this. I was actually, you know, I, I say this jokingly a lot or um, hyperbolically. Like, I, I was shocked when this movie opened. Like, some of the things they show at the very beginning, I was like, holy fuck. There's like a, a nude woman who's tied to a chair that a guy on the other side of the room is, you know, basically using her as a firing post. And um, there's like a woman hanging from her arms and legs and is a lot of nudity right off the bat. That's uh, pretty shocking, especially because it was on YouTube. I was like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> Am I in trouble? Yeah. <laughs> so the first thing that stuck out to me was this. It is the joke from the disaster artist. There's like six studios that have their name on this at the beginning. Did you notice that like the signatures for studios just keep coming? Yep. I kept looking up. I was like, oh, we're still doing this. <laughs> there is a, uh, Saban Films, Opus Films, Los Angeles Media Fund, Intertitle Films, Rat Pack Entertainment, and then there was a DirecTV logo. I was, <laughs> I was like, mother of God. And we have my note after that is that was quick uh, as the opening shot establishes. So Julio Tadic, Jim Carrey, he wants to solve this case. Do you think it's beneficial to us the viewer to before we understand what we're looking at here from this the perspective of like a movie and what what our end game is going to be do you think it it's beneficial to us the viewer to take us into the depths of depravity and the nightlife in Poland and to see these images that we see right off the bat do you think that helps put us in the headspace for just the the decay that's going to follow over the next 90 minutes Yes, I think that maybe you don't appreciate it right away because it's just so unsettling. It just jolts you, it rattles you. It's like, you know, I don't know, a minute of just depravity. And then I think the next thing you see is Jim Carrey kind of uh, scouting the area, just waiting in his car, and he has the beard and everything. And uh, and from then on, I mean, the movie is punctuated with scenes that are pretty disturbing. But also, for the most part, it's pretty... Uh, laconic i guess pretty uh what's a good word like you know it's pretty toned down it's very you know to sound extremely american it's very european (laughs) just very restrained and so for it to open with this flurry of nudity and uh sexual violence i i think that it just it's good it lets you know this is what you're in for but that way you don't get impatient when it's kind of slow in between because it's gonna be a while before we see another uh, scene that kind of catches your attention in this way. So I think, yeah, it's good that they... Because the other thing that this movie does is that it doesn't really give you a lot of exposition. It gives you just enough and then lets you fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. Like the idea that 
the guy uh, that's the current police chief. Uh, what's his name? George Gerger Berger. Uh, Gregor. That's I have the Gregor. word. I have the the phrase Gregor with a question mark four times in my notes because it, yes, he's like this ominous. He, he's um, he's Oz. Like he, <laughs> when you eventually figure it out, it's just kind of, it's kind of disappointing. That's who he is because you feel like he's going to be this ten foot tall man. Right. Uh, you finally meet him. I think more than halfway through the movie, where where he has lines and you know interacts with Carrie, but. But they kind of like give you the breadcrumbs and you know that he's this guy that is, uh, you know, Jim Carrey wants to get him. He's not even not because he's the the murderer, but because he's the, the guy that I guess allowed the investigation to to be closed. He uh, he's corrupt. And well, that is just one aspect of it. But the entire movie operates like this, like like that. I think that they just give you a little bit of information and then they let you figure it out. You know, just wait until you get the next breadcrumb and setting up the movie <laughs> with an opening scene, like the one we have here, or it's just this, this orgy with blindfolded people throughout this sex dungeon. It, it, it's kind of reassuring. It's telling you, don't worry, everything is going to be worth it. Cause we're going to get back to this at some point and everything is going to make sense. Did you have that, that experience though? Were you, did you feel like you were in capable hands as we were going through this investigation? Uh, were you just as, as I guess, determined as Jim Carrey, just sure that there was light at the end of the tunnel? Or were you even more thrown off and kind of unsure what was going on the entire time? I wasn't I wasn't sure where we were going. Um, I think it was beneficial to begin with that because there's also, uh, I mean, we'll just go and get to it. Did you notice you see Gregor in the opening montage? Yes, but I didn't know that was a Gregor. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, actually, yeah. No, I guess if you're Polish, you were like, "Oh, it's that guy. It's it's Jim Carrey." Yeah, well, that, you see Gregor in the opening montage, like you know, partaking in something that appears to be pretty vile, and um, that comes back later because I'm like, "Wait, wasn't that the guy from the beginning?" And then you know, you kind of figure out that he's a bad guy too. Um, <laughs> yeah, when this starts, I'm like, "Holy shit!" And then Jim Carrey shows up on the screen. I'm like, "It's Ace Ventura. Make me laugh." That was awful. I didn't want to just have seen that. <laughs> But instead, you know, he has this very plain home life, very um, uh, American beauty, eating breakfast with his family, and you know, pre-workout. This movie, yeah, did nothing to help the the plight of white chefs and cooks and the stereotypes they deal with all across the the world. As there is absolutely no seasoning on the eggs that his wife serves him, <laughs> and again, you know. You know Eggs are delicate. You can just a little bit of salt and pepper. None of that. I, I like a little Danos and hot sauce on mine. But anyway, it starts rough. It starts grimy, and it stays that way. There's just like this movie feels like an overcast day where like the air is moist and like wet, and you know there's no color anywhere. the The leaves are wilting, and so I appreciate that that the tone it goes for is that it remains that the entire movie, and it does not ease you into it. It's you know beanbag gun to the chest right out the bat yeah your throat hurts your your nose is dripping but you have to go to work <laughs> you're out of sick days promise i won't die alone i promise i am so glad that you brought up ace ventura because i think that that's the key to maybe unlocking the the extra pleasures in this movie uh, and that is, if you imagine that this is a sequel to Ace Ventura, if this is the, the third Ace Ventura, this is the, the Logan 
installment of the Ace Ventura franchise, where <laughs> Ace, you know, he's older, he's moved to Europe, he's adopted a Polish uh, persona, and he's just lost everything that made him joyous, and because he's still an investigator, you know, but he's he's graduated. He went from a pet detective to real detective, and life hit him really hard. Uh, when you look at uh, Dark Crimes as the the dark future of the Ace Ventura franchise, I think it helps you get through the hardest parts of the movie because you're like, oh, there's that extra connection. It's, it's a, you know, that tragic ending that makes it the whole story epic. <laughs> it's the redemption. It's, um, you know, if Ace Ventura 1 and 2 were Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, this is the Dark Knight. This is, <laughs> yes. this is, this is Christopher Nolan's Ace Ventura. <laughs> Yes, you're waiting for the the climatic moment, the triumphant climatic moment where the, this bearded older Jim Carrey bends over and starts speaking through his butt. <laughs> but you know, it's very dark and ominous, and just like <laughs> we found her bound and gagged. She'd been dead for several days by the time we got there, and it's yeah, him talking out of his ass with his slacks. <laughs> um, having my notes here, very heavy rain aesthetic. Many moons ago, I, on our after hours, I talked about the video game Heavy Rain, which I'm a very big fan of, and just a lot of the presentation of this movie kind of felt like that. Alex, did you notice that this movie was produced by Brett Ratner? Well, I wasn't going to bring that up, Julio, but yes, I did. I did notice that. It's the <laughs> you know the Christopher Plummer thing of at this point, <laughs> why bother? But yeah, uh, Rat Rat Pack Entertainment was Brett Ratner's company. Um, if I, I think he might have been. And talks to direct at one point in time, but and they're like, "Please, we want to keep this classy. <laughs> we want to keep this pure. <laughs> we don't want this to be a movie that people will look at several years from now and go, ew." <laughs> so, Tadek, Jim Carrey gets swept back up in this case, and it's you know he, he it's his desire to figure this out and solve this, and he's listening like these books on tape of what appears to be just absolute smut, but we come to find out. This Kozlov guy, Martin Sankas, he believes is involved, and through listening to really disgusting tales of sex and violence, he comes to believe that this guy committed this murder. Do we have a an American equivalent for this type of author? Because I wrote on my notes just for shorthand, I said this is a Polish Stephen King, but that was when we were first meeting him. And then as it became clearer and clearer what kind of stuff he writes, I was like, oh no, <laughs> this is... This is his own section of because it's not like a romance novel. Like this is not like you know he didn't write the Polish Labor Day. This is just <laughs> hardcore stuff. Like I, I don't think that uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is like this either, right? No. Like I haven't read it, but from what I understand, Fifty Shades is a little more whimsical. Um, this is just straight up nasty stuff. So uh, this is the type of shit like you would read in Hustler or Penthouse, like that level of detail and like. Um vulgarity but, even, but no that's even, not true even, because it's not like sex it's like talking about killing and people dead and right shit. yeah that's that's why because you know i always thought that hustler playboy whatever those are more like wish fulfillment things like, yeah 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 you know i went and delivered a pizza and suddenly there were four cheerleaders on me <laughs> and this is more like i went to deliver a pizza and then i murdered someone with my dick <laughs> yes <laughs> i strangled her and i thought of my mother that kind of like really disturbing stuff. So uh, if there is an American equivalent, I am glad that I'm not familiar with it, I guess. But 
the fact that this is based on a true story instantly had me thinking, okay, so who who is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> who was the author? <laughs> Did this whole thing affect the the sales of his books positively? Like is everybody suddenly rushing to buy the the bestseller or now bestseller that allegedly inspired a crime or was a confession of said crime? Uh, you know, they never really answered that. But according to the way that the movie depicts him, like this guy's kind of a celebrity, right? Like there are reporters waving at him and there's people clapping whenever he walks by. So yeah, and we, we go to like a, a press conference he has for something. That's where he gets apprehended. But yeah, Tadek, Jim Carrey's become obsessed with this guy and just pinning the crime on him. It's, um, I mean, Julio, if if I were a betting man, I would say that the filmmakers of this had watched Zodiac once or twice uh, as <laughs> the the obsession is presented in a similar fashion. But he apprehends him and arrests him. We get a pretty dope interrogation scene that... Um, has a really cool frame shot of the two of them on opposite sides of the table. You can tell from the jump that Tadic knows this guy. He believes in his heart this guy's guilty and he's going to do what it takes to get the confession. Now, I, I think that at this point, Alex, because we brought him up a couple of times, uh, we need to address the, the elephant in the room. Jim Carrey's playing a Polish man in this movie. How long did it take you to, to figure out that he was not playing an American? Uh, probably a good 20, 30 minutes into the movie when I was like, oh, he's speaking in an accent now. <laughs> right? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> because he, even when he speaks, it's just such short sentences. And I'm like, no, that sounds like Jim Carrey. He's not overdoing it. you know. And you're used to Jim Carrey overdoing things. So I was like, okay, I guess he's just, a, he's just an American transplant. And maybe that's why nobody likes him. Everybody looks at him weird because he's, he's an American. But then, yeah, you're, as he starts opening up and... and speaking a little more and you're like oh he has an accent i'm like that is you said we're going to be using the word bold a lot and that is to me a bold choice casting jim carrey as a like funny man jim carrey casting him as a polish policeman a canadian Uh, as a polish detective (laughs) yeah i mean obviously on one hand you want to say why but then on the other hand, you're like, why? Because it's Jim Carrey. Yeah. <laughs> if Jim Carrey wants to be your movie. You say, yes, why not? You I can mean, be whoever you want. Real talk in Trans Corner, that's the entire appeal of this movie is that it's Jim Carrey in this role. Right. If it was uh, just a Owen random Wilson. Polish actor. Oh, <laughs> random Polish actor. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, Owen Wilson, I would watch it, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> Owen why Wilson not? exploring the the sexy underbelly of Poland. Yeah, I'll be down for it. But yeah, if if you just made this as a standalone Polish movie with no American crossovers, no no Hollywood crossovers, yeah, it's definitely a, a smaller enterprise. It doesn't really get get my attention the same way. Why did you keep these? I like to look. So as I mentioned earlier in the synopsis, the situation is the this writer detailed this murder. That happened really close to the same time period, almost, you know, to the exact T. And so he believes that makes him guilty. And uh, there is a good line of the writer tells Jim Carrey, if that's what you say. And he like shakes his head. No, he's like, no, that's what you say. And points to the literature. It's like, (laughs) got him. (laughs) And when is this movie set, Alex? I was I was a little confused. And I think that that was maybe the movie's strategy to throw me off, keep me off guard because they're talking about downloading like his latest book. The, uh, you know, Jim Carrey has an assistant and his assistant is 
a bigger fan of the of the author. I guess he follows him. Mm-hmm. And the assistant says that his latest book wasn't even published. It just he says something like it went straight to streaming, or you know, you could just download it or whatever. But then at the same time, when they go and visit the the sex club and they requisition the tapes, <laughs> all the all the material there, they're VHS tapes. Uh, and I'm sure you saw that because you, you just anytime that there's uh, old media in a movie, you just you pop hard. So yeah, I do, and that was I was glad you brought that up because I was trying to figure that out too. It, are there cell phones used at any point? Well, what is he? He's I'm pretty sure he says download. Of course, you know maybe it means something different in Poland. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, what he's listening to, you know, that book is he is he actually listening to a tape or is he? listening to a CD or was just listening from his phone. Yeah, I don't know. But he, the investigation itself, it just consists of a lot of VHS tapes, which I was like, if this is present day, that's pretty cool because he has vintage evidence, <laughs> vintage porn, all, all these recordings of what went on in the, in the that's sex right. dungeon. When he goes to the evidence locker, that guy's just clearly horny for all this just nasty porn <laughs> that he has down there. Because he's like, why'd you keep this? He's like, I, does he say something like, I like it? Yeah, he's I like to watch it. That's it, yeah. <laughs> so even the people on the inside are equally as depraved. The clock is ticking, though, because he, you know, without a conviction, he only has him for 48 hours. So we get a really dramatic lie detector scene where it turns out, you know, he's not lying. And now, you know, he has to let him go and... Uh, Kozlov goes out to the press and says, you know, he threatened to kill me. He threatened me with violence if I didn't confess to this scene. And once Kozlov's gone, Tadek knows he's screwed because Kozlov goes to the media and says, you know, he threatened to kill me. He threatened me with violence if I didn't confess to the killing. And all the while, uh, you know, Tadek knows that he's just quoting his own book. He's quoting his own literature because he's able to recite it back when the, you know, his chief asks him about it. But he's screwed, and we, we again the mysterious Gregor's mentioned as you know Gregor's not going to be happy about this. Did you get uh, the impression that Jim Carrey had the wrong guy though, or were you always on his side? Because I think the way I experienced the movie, I I thought one of the coolest things was that I was never a hundred percent sure that Jim Carrey was in the right. Like the the writer, you know, he seemed like he was a nasty character, but I didn't know for sure that he was guilty of the murder oh yeah and especially from the perspective of a viewer like the first time you're watching this is you're like that guy can't be the killer he's the first guy that we've met in relation to this case and <laughs> I've you seen know movies before yeah exactly and you can tell just by examining the tated character he's just obsessed with wanting to be right about this case we learned that you know this is something that had gone wrong and he's going to be right damn it and so he's just going to pin it on who he has to it's during this process, too, I forgot to mention that we're introduced to Charlotte Gainsbourg, the Cassia character, uh, as she is Kozlov's girlfriend, side piece. I mean, all- they, they seemed affectionate towards each other. Yeah. A, a Beyond little bit. the sex. Okay. I was going to say, yeah, they, they, they bone in the, in, <laughs> in the moonlight. As you know, Charlotte Gainsbourg escaping just for, for a brief moment, escaping Lars von Trier's clutches <laughs> so she can go into a movie where she is treated respectfully by men. Oh, wait, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, a bridge too far for Miss Gainsbourg. And but she's a drug addict with a kid and Tadek, Jim Carrey wants to exploit those facts to try to get more information out of her because he feels like she is kind of the key and knows, you know, this fucker did it, that type of thing. So Yeah, after- I think she she knew the victim, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the main thing. 
she was uh what's the name of the guy sadowski is that's the, the the guy that was murdered i believe and, so yeah he was one of her regulars but also jim carrey believes that kozlov tells her things that he doesn't tell anybody else so tatek ends up at cassie's apartment trying to find any evidence he breaks and enters and cassie is there kozlov shows up they end up forming the beast with two backs jim carrey kind of watches it for a minute watches it a little Scratches bit longer his beard. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he says all righty then and leaves <laughs> uh where do you know charlotte gainsbourg from because i know you haven't seen uh melancholia or nymphomaniac so for you is it when you see her you think uh antichrist yeah antichrist man that is that's a rough association a little bit fortunately now i have a better movie to replace that with <laughs> so while tadix in the apartment though before he decides to watch these two people have sex for just a minute he he, he ducks out <laughs> like he just wanted to make sure that that's like, what was gonna happen uh, Honestly, anyone probably would. If it's two fairly good-looking people, you're gonna, you know, check it out and be like, "Yep, that's it's the when you use a pair of tongs, you click them together once to make sure they work. It's that it's the same <laughs> principle. You don't do okay, it. Okay, so what is what is the appropriate length of time before less than, you're a less creep? than ten seconds? Like less than ten seconds. Oh, you that's, don't get to see anything in less than ten seconds. They still have their clothes on. Oh, no, no, are you, okay. Are, are I'm you sorry, counting I'm sorry. from the moment that they actually start having sex? Like once intercourse has commenced, like you give it a, a good glance because okay, that's so a, a couple pumps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like you're in the room, and you know you're hidden behind the door. They could just be making out for all you know, and then you know they could they have to get back to making dinner or something. So you may just hide <laughs> there. You you have to see what happens first. But once the the sex has commenced. You give it a glance and you look. It's the Seinfeld <laughs> cleavage thing. It's like looking at the sun. You give it a glance and you look away. You start staring too long, then then you know you, you might as well go hang out at one of those clubs at night. But the revelation during all this is she's screaming and hitting Kozlov, saying, "You know, you've stolen my stories and you know published them." That'll come into play later. Man, I completely missed that because I was so entranced by. By the fact that Charlotte Gainsbourg was uh, once again just this sexual object in a movie directed by a dude. She really, my note actually says, like, why can't people be nice to Charlotte Gainsbourg? Uh, Because this is, I mean, if this is the best that she can get in this movie, that's, yes, it's a step up from, uh, you know, the things that she deals with in Nymphomaniac, but it's still not great. I think that. I was at this point, yeah, because by now she's already talked to him once, right? To Jim Carrey once. So yep. I did feel like they had some chemistry. And I'm like, maybe that's what the, the end game of the movie is going to be. He is going to rescue her from all this shit. Because uh, he's a good guy. His marriage is obviously not going to last much longer. I, I saw how those eggs looked. Uh, so maybe what's going to happen at the end is that maybe they don't catch the killer, but but Jim and Charlotte just right off into the sunset, away from Poland, into the promised land. Not quite what happens. Sadly, no. He's getting too close to the fire, though. Tadek notices that he's being followed. There's cars outside of his house, like on routine, same cars. He gets in a, a chase with one of them, almost gets mowed down by one of them. And this is obviously, he's not wanted on this case. I have my note here. Is that the guy from the beginning? When we're starting to get closer to the, the Gregor situation. Eventually, Cassia comes to Jim Carrey Tadek for aid, though. 
It's like, you know, I need help. Brings her daughter with her. And Jim Carrey, Tadek's wife, says, you know, you take one more step towards her, I'm gone. And he does not think about it at all. He's so obsessed <laughs> with this case. And also, you know, at this point, he might be smitten with Cassia. But he just this is a this is the best acting from Jim Carrey in a movie that's full of great acting moments from him. When he his wife gives him this ultimatum, and then he he never breaks eye contact with her, but he just reaches towards his coat and grabs it. That or it, we need to bring up now because it obviously will come back here shortly. Um, during all this, we see Jim Carrey Tate go check on his mother, uh, and yes. you know promise that he'll always be there to help her. Swell on your life. Mm. Very, very short scene, but you know we understand that he loves his mom. But he, yeah, he's so obsessed with this case. He's just like wife, daughter, peace. <laughs> Goes with Cassia. Uh, I mean, anyone that's seen a movie before knows where this is going. They end up embracing and having sex. And um, okay, maybe you didn't know exactly where this was going because I was not expecting the camera to hold on. No, 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 no. Okay, <laughs> you expect like a sex scene or at least like a good passionate kiss. I was pausing for effect, but it's just true. Once you've seen this, you can never unsee it. <laughs> Please describe. <laughs> so the kissing and heavy petting begins, and then we smash cut to Jim Carrey's sweaty back and just the tip of his ass crack, just going <laughs> to town on poor Charlotte Gainsbourg. And then we cut to his face. We cut down to her. He's on top. We're going full missionary here. And she's in, she's encouraging him to hit her. So he starts just smacking her. And then Jim Carrey proceeds to climax. And we watch it. We watch the whole thing. Not the, you know, the actual act of climaxing from the waist down. But his face, the camera just lingers on this. He's sweaty. His eyes are wide. And he comes loudly and like just part of me died. It was just, <laughs> it was, it was uh, Lloyd Christmas ejaculating. <laughs> I don't need to see that shit, man. Well, listeners, I look forward to, uh, to all sorts of memes that you will create with the screenshot of Jim Carrey's O face and dark crimes. Like we joke, and what we just described, though, is as like visceral and just bare as it is. It's not funny. It's not. I mean, <laughs> it's not. I mean, it is, but it's it's not Ben Stiller in uh, something about Mary or, you know, that part is like, oh, <laughs> it's a yeah. very real reaction from James Carey. And it's something you, you can't unsee. So is it. Is this maybe the one moment where it's a problem that it's Jim Carrey? Like, would it be, would it make us laugh if it was just some random actor that we don't know? It's the part that's easily the conundrum of it's, it's Ace Ventura, you know? It's, it's that, um, it's the cable guy having sex. Like, <laughs> it's hard to not immediately distance yourself or at least put up like a defense because of that. You know what I mean? But it's also what, will resonate with you the most and finally if you are having any trepidations about committing to this character or this movie that's the part where it just it pushes the trash can over the curb and just knocks it over and it's like well it's here now no going back you might as well stick along for the ride no going back no not at all as much as i will try to for the rest of my life 
I will never be able to go back from seeing that. <laughs> well, I think it's good too because it it finally gives us something else besides the investigation, right? There's uh, the investigation was interesting, and obviously we we're caught up in the mystery and we want to know what happened, who killed who, and all that stuff. But now, when you have these two characters connect in this way, and it's so different from the other sex we've seen in the movie so far. You know, this one actually seems like it means something. And so now that became my priority. And, and you know, I joked earlier that I was, I was shipping them from the beginning, but definitely once they have sex, I thought that that was for sure what the, what the rest of the movie had as, as a, as a real plot. You know, it's like, that's how this guy is going to achieve salvation, not by solving the mystery, but by, by finding a measure of happiness with this woman who also needs something, you know, good, beyond what she has right now. Mm. So it's it's good. I think that that's it happens at the right time in the movie where we just need a little bit of extra extra meat in the story. So Kozlov eventually comes forward with a confession. He says, "Yeah, I did it." But Tadek is obviously weary. He's he thinks, you know, why now? Uh, a lot unfolds at once, though. And this Gregor character comes back in, and we learn that he is not a good dude. Cassia uh, had been assaulted by him. Was that? previously or the was that like a in real time was that something they were trying to cover up or did that happen like contemporaneously without all these other things i think i think it's happening at the same time because they were tailing jim carrey you know the entire time so i think that they knew gregor is the chief of police and so i think they figured out that he had hooked up with uh charlotte gainsburg and i took it as as gregor just seeking retribution for her having a, a, an affair, I guess, or, or, you know, showing some kindness to Jim Carrey for going f- to him for help, whatever. Cause you know, she said that they were, they were watching her house as well. So I think that that was just Gregor kind of like flexing his, his power as a way to just stick it to Jim Carrey again. So this comes to light. Tadek doesn't immediately take the statement or the confession, but he does go see Cassia and forces her to sign basically, um, a confirmation document that this is the case. Gregor's out. He's exposed as the evil deviant that he is. New chief of police is put in. Uh, did you catch his name? Peter? I think that's the guy that's being from the sidelines, secretly cheering Jim Carrey on, telling him that, that he should continue the investigation. Yes. And so they have it all locked away, or so they think. And Tadek is... Then informed, I don't know how he missed this because there's like clearly a lot of literature that backs it up, but that Kozlov was abroad when this murder went down, so it couldn't have been him. He brings us the attention of Peter, and he says, this isn't justice, and he says, fuck justice. What's done is done. This is just the the situation we're in, and this is how it's going to stay. Yeah, it's uh, the biggest twist in this movie is that Jim Carrey actually wasn't that great of a cop. (laughs) <laughs> he missed like the, the, the most basic of the checkups like, something that that was so simple does this guy have an alibi that's exactly it do you have an alibi yes i was out of the country can you prove it well here's a newspaper that says so <laughs> <laughs> with this guy uh, uh peter he has this this line where he basically tells him look it's too late now we already said that he's guilty and that's what people want to hear People don't want to hear about how you uh, you fucked up the investigation. What people want is a bad guy and a good guy. Yep, they and, want good and evil. Yep, 
in just be happy with that. And it's almost like the, the the movie is telling you, the audience, that that's you're used to that. You're used to just the very clean cut narratives from let's say from Hollywood, and and now you're being challenged by European storytelling, and and that's why you're unsettled, and you should expect more from your from your fiction. Uh, Jim Carrey doesn't take it well. No, and unfortunately, things go from bad to worse because he goes to visit his mom and hasn't been there in a while and walks in to find that his mom has perished and has clearly been out of the game for several days because the smell overtakes him. And this is the Oscar clip, right? This is where he breaks down against the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty uh, pretty genius. I mean, be honest with me, Alex. I'll tell you, I completely forgot about his mom. I did So too. when he, he opens the door... And he gasps and covers his mouth, and then he starts crying. I thought that it was his wife. <laughs> I thought Dude, that he found either same. his wife or his daughter. I thought like it, his wife and daughter got killed. That's exactly like my thought process as well. I forgot about his mom. So when it cuts to her, I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is even worse. <laughs> uh, that has to be intentional. I think that the movie plants the seed of the mom early on, and then much like with Jim Carrey, it, it lets us forget about her. <laughs> And then hits us with this big shock at the very end. It's it's very effective. What makes you think the murder even happened here? The river has an end. And the beginning. Jim Carrey, Tadek here, has nothing left to lose. So he leaks the story to the press that Kozlov was abroad when this murder went down, so it couldn't have been him. He knows his career's over. He goes to see Cassia one last time and says, I just want to know what happened. I just want to know the story. And this is where we learn that, in fact, Kozlov did steal all Cassia's stories for his uh, literature, or at least in this particular case. And we learn that murder was actually committed by Cassia because the man was a sadist and um, went a bit too far a few times with her. And on one particular evening asked to be strangled and she just didn't let go Uh, but she details some pretty horrifying things pretty graphic things along the way but this is all from the perspective of we are this is a first person's perspective for Tatek so we're being our eyes are being penetrated by the glare of uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg as she tells us this whole story and it's um it's quite unsettling and she lets us know it was her it was me, Austin. It was me all along. She gets up. She walks away. We see Jim Carrey just crestfallen on the couch and then roll the credits. Cut to black. That's how you make your movie under 90 minutes. It's true. I guess under 100. But yeah, it, it, that was that's maybe the best part of the movie. <laughs> she hits him with this. And then we finally cut to the the you know the counter shot. And mm-hmm. Jim Carrey, who was at first sitting forward, now it's almost like he's falling apart on the couch. Just completely destroyed by this information. Then she gets up, walks out of frame, cut to black, end credits. Very efficient. No thesis for the next movie. No, uh, Tadek <laughs> will come back. <laughs> and that was Dark Crimes. Yes. Perhaps this is a real talk question, but is that final sequence Charlotte Gainsbourg's uh, Oscar clip? Oh, absolutely. I mean, she, there, there's some emotion in some of the earlier stuff she does, but that's, I could definitely see that playing at the 2017 Academy Awards. The Charlotte Gainsbourg, Dark Crimes. They show that clip and then the golf clapping. Well, of course, the question is how many of the Academy members would actually watch Dark Crimes all the way to the end? 
to get to this scene. Dude, that's how it wins. Is like a lot of people don't watch it and feel bad about it, so they just like <laughs> they're like, well, no one else watched this, so I'm gonna vote for it, and that's what everyone else. That's how Oscar wins the uh, Halloween contest on The Office. That is how <laughs> Dark Crimes becomes an Academy Award nominated movie. Is everyone votes for it because they think no one else will? Well, maybe on its re-release. I don't think that. No, they're not eligible when they're re-release. Maybe on the remake. I don't know. <laughs> Let's go to real talk, Alex. Please. <laughs> I do this for my daughter and for Christoph. This is the only the only family I have. And nothing is going to get in its way. 